You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. Let's go in our Bibles to John chapter 14. If you're new here, we've been going through the Gospel of John for several weeks, and we're in the second part of John chapter 14. So as you turn there, encourage you guys to pray for me this week. Always pray for me. I need it. But um, this, this week specifically, I'm going over to Israel and uh, going to tour the, the Holy Land. And I'm really, really pumped. It's been like a bucket list thing for me to do my entire life. And so I'm really excited about going. Obviously, there's a lot of little, little stuff always going on over there. So uh, pray, pray for my wife on that because she's a little worried. But you know, I've got these two things right here. So these are deadly weapons. So I, I'm just kidding, obviously. Uh, but... Uh, we're, we're pumped about the, the week, and so I uh, can't wait to come back and share just what God does and how God just grows me, so um, pray for that. Last Sunday, we started in John chapter 14, where Jesus said not to let our heart to be troubled. And I find that interesting that Jesus would tell us not to let our heart be troubled when, in fact, we face a lot of troubling situations. And so when you and I are troubled, um, we obviously stress and we worry about it, but Jesus tells us not to let our hearts to be uh, troubled. And, and so last week I said, you know, the most important thing we can do is, is remember that our faith in Jesus uh, gives us a future uh, with Jesus. And so our, our, our faith in Jesus gives us a future with Jesus. And so as we focus on that, uh, in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our trouble and uh, painful situation, well, what I encourage you to do is to rest in the presence and the power of Jesus. And so uh, things are chaotic, things are stressful, things are, are, are happening that you know, feel like a whirlwind for you. There's a storm, whatever's happening in your life. And so the, the idea is for us to, to kind of settle and take a deep breath and to rest in the presence and in the power of Jesus Christ. And so the word rest was an acronym and the R stands for remember his promise. Remember his promise is. And so we remember his promises during this season of trial and this season of, of, of turmoil. We remember who he is, remember what he's promised us. And the, the, the E stands for examine his word. And so I'm gonna examine his word, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dive into it, allow, allow that examination to grow my faith as I examine it. I remember his promises. And then the S stands for submit to his plan. And so I've got a plan, I wanna do my thing, I wanna go my way, but we've gotta to submit to his plan in our life. And as we do, uh, the, the last letter T stands for talk to God. And so as I'm resting in God, I'm, I'm examining his word, I'm remembering his promises, I'm submitting to his will, I'm talking to God. It's through that rest that we can exhale and we can trust in the power and in the presence of who God is in our life, no matter what trouble or situation that we might face. And so this is important because Jesus made a very important statement that we covered when he said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And so what he's saying here is that Jesus is saying, I, because I am the way, uh, because I am the truth, I am the life. And so, so he knows the way to heaven, so we better follow his way and stop trying to do our way. We better follow his plan through this situation because he knows the way that's going to bring life into our life. And so we want to trust and follow his way. And so remember the context, too, of this chapter chapter 13, he is saying that he's leaving the disciples. He's like, guys, I've been here, you know, we've been hanging out for roughly three years now, doing a lot of cool things, a lot of great things, but guess what? I've got to leave. And so they're troubled. They're disappointed. They begin to get, you know, discouraged and, and, and depressed almost, like you're leaving us. And then he says, and one of you is going to betray me. And they're like, what? Who's it going to be? And somebody's going to betray him. And now they're really discouraged. 
And then he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And they're like, what? Peter's like the leader of the whole group. He's the, he's the right-hand man like of Jesus and he's the rock and like he's going to deny you. And so now they're extremely troubled. They're extremely you know, discouraged. And then Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. And so in our text today, we're going to see very clearly, as we saw last week, that in the midst of trouble, Jesus wants us to focus on our future because the disciples are worried, anxiety is setting in, discouragement is setting in. They're like in a season of trouble because their Messiah, their Jesus, their their master is going to leave. They're stressed, they're troubled, and then Jesus says 27 times just in this uh, chapter that he is going to do something. He says something like, I will, or I am going to, or you will. In other words, everything that he talks about is in the future tense. And so that tells me, like in in, in the midst of their trial, in the midst of their trouble, as Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled, trust in me. And then he spends all the next several minutes as he's talking here, um, he's talking to them about their future. So again, as I mentioned last week, in the first part of this chapter, we see that Jesus is telling us that our future is secure. So no matter what trouble we go through, if we love Jesus, if we're committed to Jesus, if we're a follower of Jesus, our future is secure. Better days are ahead of us. No matter what trouble that we go through today, he's working that for our good and greater things are in our future. And so we keep that in mind as we, as we, as we come through and, and, and start here in verse 12 in just a minute. But let me say one last thing. Now, Jesus, remember, this is the last couple of days of Jesus' life, all right? And so th- this, is, this is huge. Like, just a few hours from this conversation, he's going to be arrested, tortured, and murdered. He's going to die on the cross, one of the, what I believe, the most brutal forms of capital punishment ever created, and he's getting ready to face all of this as the Son of God. And so in the midst of Jesus's trouble and what's about to happen, Jesus is focusing on his followers, and he's telling them, don't worry, you know, just relax, just rest, trust in me, you know, your future is secure. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust, you're going to trust me. I'm going to do great things in you. And, and, and he's, he's telling them and focusing on their heart and their comfort and encouraging them. Now, if it were me about to be arrested and murdered, you know, I would like to think that I would like want to pray for you guys in that moment. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm going to be thinking about this guy right here in that setting, right? It's like all I'm concerned about is how I cannot die, right? How can I get out of this? I'm calling lawyers. I'm, I'm, I'm on the phone because I'm worried about my comfort and I'm worried about me. Jesus is worried about us at this point. And, and, and so he, he turns our attention to our future. And so let's dive in. Verse 12, chapter 14. Here we go. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Hmm, I'm a little, I'm a, mm, I, don't, mm, hmm. I know what he did. And he's saying that I'm, I'm gonna do them. Okay, it, gets, it, it goes further here. And then he says, and greater works than these will he do. I'm scratching my head, I don't get it, because I'm going to the Father. So he's saying that, 
very clearly here, he's saying that those who believe in me are going to do the works that I do. And then he says, greater works than these will he do. So wait a minute, Jesus, are you really telling us that, that we are going to do a greater work than what you have done? Okay, let me remind you, Jesus, maybe it's a little foggy, but don't forget the water into wine. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, that was cool. Um, don't forget about feeding the 5,000. You did that like twice. You took a few bread loaves. You took a few fish, and then you multiplied it and fed like 5,000 people. That was pretty awesome. Um, don't, don't forget about the blind guy. Remember he was born blind, and then you healed him, and now he can see. That was a pretty big deal. Um, and, and let's not forget Lazarus. Like he was dead for four days, four stinky days, right? And he, he brought him back to life. And so, so you're telling us, Jesus, that we're going to do greater works than you. And Jesus says, yeah. So what does he mean by greater works? That's, that's the first question we need to wrestle with today. And what I believe that he means by this greater work is not that we're going to do greater miracles. We're not going to do, you know, grander miracles and, and we're going to like heal blind people and that kind of stuff in that sense. What he's saying that we are going to do, the greater things refers to our ability through the Holy Spirit, because he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit coming in just a moment. And really for the rest of the book, he's going to be, you know, plugging into the Holy Spirit and his power and what the Holy Spirit does in our life. So we're going to be talking about him in a lot of ways uh, over the next several weeks. But, but specifically, the greater works is that we're empowered by the Spirit of God who's with us, who lives in us, to do a greater work. What's the greater work? To take the message and story of Jesus, the gospel, the good news, and to share that with other people. And as other people hear this story, their lives are transformed by this story. They move from death, they move from darkness to life and, and, and light. And so I was once blind, now I see spiritually. And so the greater work he's referring to is through the power of the Holy Spirit, building his kingdom. Now this is a greater work, why? Because these 12 men are going to take the gospel, excuse me, 11 men, one of them doesn't make it. 11 men, they're going to replace him, by the way, I'm getting sidetracked. Here's what they're going to do. <laughs> they're going to take this gospel and, and, and they're going to share it literally across their region and it's going to go around the world. And because of what they did, we sit here today and the greater work that we do is that you and I are continuing to partner with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to take this gospel to our city and our world and literally thousands and millions and billions of people over the course of the last 2,000 years have heard this story and have accepted Jesus and their life has changed. And Jesus says that is a greater work. So here's the deal. Main thought for the day. You can do greater work. Because Jesus is a great king. You can do greater work because Jesus is a great king. So we want to wrap our minds around this greater work today. If in fact it is greater than all these amazing things that Jesus says and Jesus himself said it's greater, then we better have a handle on what this greatness looked like and why it's so important for us to do it and how we're going to do it. And I believe that he shows it to us right here. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. He says this in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
All right, so, so this is an important point as well. He's saying, all you gotta do is ask me in my name and I'm gonna give you what, whatever you need. So Jesus is our provider. He's our provider. If you're taking notes, write that down, circle that. Let's, let's lean into that. And, and so when we think about Jesus being a provider, what he's telling us is that he's gonna give us the ability to add more people into the kingdom of God because of our witness of God, because of, of the fact that we are we are making disciples, we're taking the Great Commission literally, seriously, and we are, are wrapping our minds, we're wrapping our life, we're taking our talents, our skills, our resources, and we are, we, we are directing them towards the gospel, the kingdom of God. And he says, because you're doing that, whatever you ask, I'm going to give you. In other words, whatever you need to build the kingdom of God is what I'm gonna give to you. Whatever it is that you're asking for, I'm gonna give to you so that you can do this greater work of building the kingdom of God. Just ask. And so I'm gonna provide everything that you need in order to accomplish that. Now this is great news for us at Foothills Church because we're doing a great work. God is doing a great work here in our Midst, and we have a greater work here that needs to be done. Um, and this means that God is going to provide whatever need we have, and He's going to provide and, and give to us whatever it is we're asking Him to give to us so that we can continue to pursue making disciples and building His kingdom in this city. So, this is good news for us. We are doing a greater work because we serve a great King. And you've heard me talk about this for six years now, if you've been here that long, like our vision and what we're doing. And, and the next step for us, if you've been here for the last year, you've heard me talk a lot about, hey, next door, there are three acres that we don't own. The go-kart track is there. And we've got to buy it. And then we're going to build an auditorium there so that we can go from three services to two services and then have plenty of room over the next years to, to grow and, and provide space for other people in our city that need to be here and that God is going to draw here. And then as we leave this room, now our kindergarten and fifth graders can be in this room because they need this space. And, and so um, this, is, this is our next big step. Last summer, we took up an offering to buy the property. We didn't have enough to buy it. Um, and so as we have talked to banks, have we, as, as we pursued you know, what, what it is God's asking us to do, we decided to use the time to build the master plan. And so our architect has been developing the master plan. He's almost finished with that. When that's finished, we're gonna print it. It's very near. We're gonna hang it up very, very soon in the lobby so you guys can see that and get a feel for what it's gonna look like and where it's gonna be and, and, and kind of see the whole plan. Um, and, and also, we've been talking to banks. And, and quite honestly, you know, last year when we were like, hey, this is how much we need, and, and they were like, eh, you guys are kind of a young church and we don't know about you, Trent, and we're not sure about this. And so, so they kind of drug their feet a little bit. And, and then, you know, they, 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 were, they were like, you need more money to put down and kind of all this stuff. And so we're just, we're just talking with them and sharing every month. Hey, look now, look at what's going on. Look what God's doing now. And, and so it comes to this point, and, and in the last month, they sat down with us and they said, all right, Trent, here's what we'll do. We're, we're going to give you this percentage rate, and, and we'll, we'll give you this. You guys can go forward. Um, but, but if you do that, we, this is what your payments are going to be. And then, and, and then this is what your, your interest rate is going to be. And so I just looked at them and I said, well, I want a lower interest rate and I don't want that payment to be so big. And, and they said, oh. Um, and and so, <clears throat> so I said, look, <clears throat> you know, I serve a great king and you ask not 
or you have not because you ask not, right? And so, so, so I'm asking and I'm praying and I'm trusting God's our provider. And so, um, so, so essentially, here's, here's what I believe will happen. Like they, they might come back and they might say, hey, you guys need to take up an offering so that you can have more money down and that's going to get everything lower and you can move forward. Or, or they may just agree and say, hey, yeah, we're, we're good with that and we're going to trust you and we're going to go with this. And, 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 and either way, what I'm saying is we're like at the, at, at the pinnacle of, you know, crossing this huge mountain. And so if you've been giving to invest, they look at those numbers every month. And they're tracking that. And so thank you for giving. If you're giving regularly on a Sunday morning, thank you for giving because they look at that every month and, 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 they're, and they're watching this. And so, so we've got a greater work to do. And here's how I know God provides everything we've ever needed to when we needed a place to meet on Sunday morning and we got a school building and then we needed a truck to store it in and God provided a truck for us to store all of our stuff in to, hey, we need a permanent location and he gave us this facility to, to, hey, we need a worship center and not a bowling alley and so, hey, that was a good idea and so here we are today. And then, and then now we need more land and we need a new building and so it's like God is, God is gonna provide because that's what God does. He provides for people who are on mission for him. And how he provides is through the people of God. And so, so we're going to give and we're going to be faithful in that. We're going to provide and I'm encouraging you to provide because we have a greater work to do. Because we're not just talking about 2016. We're talking about generations. Get that in your brain today. We're talking about generations that will be changed your great-grandchildren and people that you don't even know who are going to live in Blount County after you are long gone, who will be driving up into the parking lot, and they won't even remember Thunderworld. They won't even remember that this was a bowling alley, and that used to be a bar where you get your coffee every morning. They're not going to even know that. All they're going to know is when they walk into this place, the presence of God is here, and they met Jesus here, and they love it here, and they're pursuing the kingdom of God here, and more people are coming to know Jesus here. That's what they're going to know. But it starts with us. It starts with us. We're doing a greater work because we serve a great king, and he's going to provide for us, and this is our next step. And so I'm excited that in January, we're going to, I'm going to go through a series that's going to outline this plan. For those of you that weren't here, you know, over a year ago, you're going to hear this plan. You're going to see this plan. And I really believe 2016 is our year to build and, and, uh, and to take this step. So I am um, personally extremely excited. Uh, so he's going to meet our needs. He's going to provide <clears throat> as we do this greater work. But he's also doing this personally. And so I don't want to, I, I don't want to, you know, breeze past that either, like, Whatever you're doing for the work of God, personally, he's providing for you. So I don't know if I can lead someone to Christ and he's going to give you the words. I don't know if I can serve in this ministry because I don't know enough about the Bible and he's going to give you the knowledge. I don't know if I can do this and that and, and he's, he's, he's like, I'm going to provide for you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lead you into this and allow you to, to be used by my spirit. Stop making it about you and start trusting me to accomplish Whatever it is he's asking you to do. And so there's a greater work that you've got to do. And so part of today is figuring out what that greater work really is. And so I was counseling with a, um, a young lady that was, was going through a divorce um, a couple weeks ago. And, of course, she's in tears. And it's in one of the, just a really, I don't, they're never easy. But this one is just a really nasty one. A lot of fighting. Kids are involved. And so it's just terrible, terrible, terrible stuff. And she's just broken. She's a Christian. She's praying. She's asking God to do this and to do that. And would you provide here? 
God is not answering the way that she is, is, is asking. And so she's looking at me for advice and for counsel with tears in her eyes saying, I know this verse, ask and he will give, seek and you will find. Trent, I am asking and he is not showing up. You know what that makes me feel, Trent? Word for word. Makes me feel that I'm not worthy enough and that God doesn't love me because he isn't answering my prayers. And I said, look, here's the deal. When we look at the Bible and we trust in who God is, one of the foundational principles that we have to understand as we live life when it comes to trials and problems is that sometimes the greatest blessing and the greatest thing that God can do in our life is to give us a problem. Because it's through that problem that we get out of our comfort zone, we stop trusting in ourselves, and we realize that he is all we got. And there is not a better place in the world to be than to know that he's all you got. And it takes a problem sometimes to get you there. And when we read the New Testament, we see that our, our problems are a device that God uses to draw us closer to him and to grow us. And we trust that, that, that he's going to provide for us and, and use this for our good and use that for our strength and use that to, to refine us and, and strengthen us and to grow our faith. And I believe that he does and I believe that he will. And, and, and we don't want to forget that. And, and 1 John 5.14 also when, when it comes to prayer teaches us a very important principle here. It says this in 1 John 5, he says, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So here's, a, here's, here's this is truth. When we're praying and we're asking, are we asking according to his will? And that doesn't mean that you have to know his will before you can start praying. What it means is we pray according to what we already know his will is in the Bible. So a real, little example here. If you're praying that God would steal money for you, that's not going to happen. Okay? You know, I would pray, God, that you would just kill that guy because I don't like him. You know, it's not, you know, we've got to pray according to what the Bible teaches us his will is. And so, so when we're praying, is this situation bringing glory to God? Is this building the kingdom? How, how is this growing us? And so, so we're praying according to his will. And, and as we pray and as we seek and as we ask, he responds. He's going to give. He's not, he's not a father that when we ask for an egg, he's going to give us a rock. Remember that passage? You know, we're going to ask for something and instead of a fish, he's going to give us a snake, Jesus says. It's like that's not how he's going to respond. He's going to give to us because he's a generous giver and we want to know that we're asking according to his plan and according to his will and so that is huge and so we don't want to take this verse and we don't want to be you know a, a prosperity gospel theologian that would say see all you got to do you know just ask anything in my name and I will do it so just believe enough you know pray enough if you really believe it you know that God's going to give you a raise he's going to give you a raise if you give twenty dollars to this ministry you know we're going to send you this bible that we prayed over and then God's going to give you money and like, that's ridiculous, okay? That is not what this passage is telling us. That's a selfish, self-centered prayer. Because at the end of the day, we're all self-centered. And, and um, even as a believer, 
that self-centeredness dies hard, you know? We, we, we are continually fighting that self-centeredness. And so what that self-centeredness does is a lot of times we think that we are in the center of God's universe. And, and we live in this world and we see things around us and we live as if we are the center of God's universe. So when we go to Kroger and we're going to buy whatever and as we get there, like somebody is in the best parking spot in the entire you know, parking lot is pulling out at the same time we are pulling in and we're like, oh, blessed be the name of the Lord, you know. He loves me. He's gonna give me the greatest parking spot because God is all about me and he saw me coming and so he gave me this spot and God is good, you know. Or maybe God wanted to give you the opportunity to deny yourself and give it to the person that was there a half a second after you and you could die to your selfishness and give it to somebody else. Oh, we're never going to think about that, are we? You know, God's not doing that. He ain't going to do that. He wanted me to have it because I'm at the center of the universe, not anybody else. And, and that person could have been an atheist and thinks all these Tennesseans are jerk. And if he, if he would have got that spot because you gave it to him, maybe his heart softens and he loves Jesus and he goes to heaven. But let's not think about that. That's my spot. I was here first. Or the green light, you know, I was late and God gave me a green light. It's like, bless God. It's like, come on, man. Maybe he did give you that spot. Maybe he did give you the green light. But here's what I'm saying. You don't live at the center of his universe and not everything that's happening around you is for you. It's for him. So let's get out of your self-centeredness and, and you know, every, behind every bush is a sign that God is doing this and God woke you up to do this. And you're like, come on, man, let's just be real about this. You're not at the center of his universe, and, and, and this isn't a, a, a ticket for you to ask Jesus for a raise and then give you more money. That's not what he's saying here, and so, so let's see what he is saying here, and what he is saying is that he is our provider, and we serve a great king, and we're gonna do a greater work because we serve a great king, and as we serve this greater work, whatever we need to do that great work, he's gonna give to us, so we trust him in faith. Secondly, Jesus is our help. He's our help. Let's look at verse 15 now. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, side note here. I mean, this is like you got to get this, right? I mean, you, you, you don't just get to go to heaven because you are an American, you know, or because you live in the South. You know, those people that are followers of Jesus, that have accepted him into their life, those who are committed to him, are those that love him, and we know that you love him because you keep, your, because you keep his commandments. And, and so he knows that, and, and, and in our heart of hearts, we've got to know that we're not just going to get to go to heaven here. We've got to love Jesus, and we've got to keep his commandments. And then he says, and then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Circle that word in your Bible, helper, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. Underline that, with you. And then he is also in you. Circle that in your Bibles because that's, that's key. So we got the word forever. We got the, word, the phrase with you. And we've got the phrase in you. Can we just pause for a minute here and reflect upon the glory of that statement? The truth that we are, we, we're, we're reading here this morning is that the Holy Spirit of God now dwells in us as a follower of Jesus. Like he is with us forever. He is in us. 
We are a new creation because of him. This is a power that we have not even really truly tapped into. He changes our thoughts. He changes our attitude. He changes our direction. He changes our want to. Before Jesus, I wanted to make money. I wanted to be rich. I wanted to drink alcohol and and get drunk and party. And now he changed all that want to. Now I want to build the kingdom. And now I want to make disciples. And now I want to give an ungodly amount of money towards making disciples. And so he's, he's in me and he's changed me. Let's not, let's not breeze by that today that the Holy Spirit of God is in us. If you've ever read the book Forgotten God by Francis Chan, he tells a, a good little illustration about a caterpillar. And he says, you know, if you've ever thought about what a caterpillar thinks, because I don't know why you would do that, but if you've ever thought about it, Here's this little caterpillar that crawls around on a few square feet of dirt his whole life. He climbs up a few trees <clears throat> during the course of his life from time to time. And then one day, he decides to take a nap, a long nap. <laughs> and then when he wakes up from that nap, he comes out of his little caterpillar cocoon, and he realizes that no longer does he has this plumpy little worm body anymore, but now he has this completely beautiful like butterfly body and and not only that but he has these two like beautiful huge butterfly wings it's glorious and then can you imagine what he realizes that not only is he beautiful now and he's not an ugly little worm caterpillar anymore with creepy hair coming out but now he can actually fly can you imagine what he thinks about if in fact they think when he launches up into the air that first time. Woo! Oh my gosh, this is amazing! I can fly! You know? So in the same way, like when we realize the Holy Spirit of God is in us, the power that we have, that God changes situations around us. He changes, like that song we sang earlier, he changes what we want to seek. He's he's in this room because we're in this room because he's not just here like around us. He's in us. He's right here. He's with us forever. That means when you're at work and you're by yourself and you're struggling, you know, he's with you. That means when you're at home crying in your bedroom because of whatever situation, he's with you. And because of this life transforming power that we have in our life because of the Holy Spirit, we can do a greater work because we serve a great king. The next phrase, let's jump down to verse 25. Jesus is our help, but Jesus is also our peace. Look at verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, here again the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is our, our, our help here. Let me, let, me, let me back up and go to that. Jesus is our help, and so the Holy Spirit is our, our help. And, and that word helper, Holy Spirit, it's the word parakletos, and it just simply means in the, in the Greek culture, it was an advocate in a courtroom setting. So it's somebody that comes alongside of someone in court to help them, to guide them. And so that's what the Holy Spirit is for us. He is our helper, and, and, and with him and in him, we're able to do these greater 
works. And so he's our help and he's also our peace. And he says here in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's with you. He's your help. And then I'm going to send you peace. And I'm going to give you this peace, not as the world gives peace, but I'm going to give like God gives peace. And the world doesn't understand this peace because the world gives differently. And so in this passage, he has in view your heart. He's, he has in view your soul, your, your life, your mind. And so he wants you to be fearless as it comes to this greater work. He wants you to be uh, at peace when it comes to this greater work. He wants his people to be free from anxiety and free from prescription drugs because that's what the world says will bring you peace. Here are some prescription drugs. Here's a retirement account. Here's some life insurance. Here's some car insurance. Here's a 401k. These are the things that the world would say will bring peace to you. But if you have any of those things, it doesn't really bring you peace. It might bring you a little bit of peace of mind from time to time, but ultimately we don't really think about it, you know, not until we near retirement or until we need it. This is the peace that Jesus offers to us. It's a peace that transcends all understanding. That's what Philippians says. And so, so the world doesn't get it because he does, God doesn't give to us like the world gives. The world gives to us, you know, when we earn it. The world gives whatever, you know, little bit we can get just to get by. But he gives over and abundantly more than we could ever hope or ask or imagine. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled and do not be afraid because his peace is with us. Now, now when we are at work for God doing this great work and we're living our life and, and you know, we, we have trouble, we have whatever going on in our life, there's fear that, that, that comes in, right? There's fear that would come in because our fear is we don't know how it's going to end. We don't know, you know, how we're going to meet this financial need. We don't know how the relationship is going to be restored. All these fears creep in. And so the peace of God that, that he offers to us allows our heart to rest in the presence of God. And so what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it, it wipes away all of your fears. But what I think it means here is that we're able to manage our fears because there are some, some fears that are healthy fears. Like if we're in a country sharing the gospel and, if, if, you know, and, and our life is at stake here because of that, there's a healthy fear that we need to, we need to be you know, wise about when and where and how, right? And so there is a healthy fear that exists. But the presence and peace of God in our minds in that situation allows us to do what God has called us to do and not be stressed out and anxious about it. Because he's given us this peace that helps us manage our fears. Does that make sense? It doesn't wipe away all the questions that we have as we're going through trouble. You know, God, why you're doing this and how and what and yeah, I don't know. And just because we have God's peace, now we're, we don't fear anything and now like all of our questions are answered. That's not what he's saying either. There's plenty of questions that are still in existence as we face trouble, but the peace of God will transcend all understanding because he is our comforter. We are resting in his power. We're resting in his provision. And human understanding cannot produce this. Human understanding cannot grasp the peace of God. It only comes 
through the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so this means, peace means the absence of conflict, but not just the absence of conflict. It means that, this word shalom is is the word that that he's referring to, and it just means this all-encompassing, like, presence of God's blessing and and, and power and and, and just a posture of our life of obedience to God and and the presence of God and and, and a blessing of God and, and, and from God in our life. And so this is incredibly important as a church that we would pursue peace and know this peace. And so if he's our comforter, here's the question that I want, I'd like for you to wrestle with this week. Why would we need to experience the comforter, the Holy Spirit, if our lives are already comfortable? Because for many of you in the room, your life is comfortable. You make plenty of money that takes care of yourself. Kids are good. Marriage is decent. Life is good, you're comfortable. So who is it that needs the comforter? Those who need comforting. Those who are doing a greater work, who are on the front lines of the gospel, who are on the front lines of ministry serving God, who need the Holy Spirit to comfort them as they do a greater work. So perhaps your life is so comfortable Because you're not being obedient to God. And you're not following and trusting him in the greater thing that he wants you to do. This is vital for us to understand. Because he gives us peace because we're living on mission for him. And he doesn't give us peace just so we can enjoy our vacation, sip our coconut drinks, you know, retire with our 401k and play golf and and live a comfortable life and get a suntan. That is not what he has in mind here. If you are alive and breathing today, it's because he has a plan and purpose for your life. And there is a greater work that he wants you to do. That's why you are alive. And so pursue that, run after that, go for that. He'll help you accomplish that. He's gonna provide everything you need for that. And then in the midst of trouble and chaos, he's gonna give you the peace that transcends all understanding in your life. Now think about it at home for a minute. If you're a parent, you've got kids, and when your kids are, are living with you at home and, and maybe one of them is disobedient, maybe one of them is not just, you know, didn't do one of their chores, but they're kind of in an attitude or a posture of disobedience right now. And so you might, you might say that they're going through a little, little rebellion phase right now. And, you know, so you're, you're kind of you're looking at this kid and, and uh, maybe you've got other kids and this kid is kind of going through, you know, this season. And, and let me just ask you, is there peace in your marriage when your kid is, is, is being disobedient? Not really. You're worried. There's a little trouble there. You're a little anxious, a little tension in the relationship because of this. I think it's your fault. No, I think it's your fault. If you would have done this and if you would have done that, then he wouldn't have been doing, you know. And so there's kind of that going on there. How about peace with the other kids and the relationships that are happening there? Chances are that peace isn't really too great either because you're spending so much time dealing with knucklehead one that you don't have you know, the energy or the focus for the other knuckleheads running around in your house, right? So when there's disobedience in the family, chaos and turmoil ensues in the family until that knucklehead gets right with Jesus. And when that child finally gets it 
and, and, and finally obeys you and in turn obeys God's plan for their life, then the turmoil begins to subside, right? And so when you think of it in terms of church and when you think of it in terms in, in, in peace that we're, we're, we're talking about here, And when you think of it in terms of your own personal life, God being your father, if you are being disobedient, obviously turmoil is going to set in in your life. And guess what? Turmoil is going to begin to set in in the family of God. And so there's that tension there of turmoil and some trouble going on because of disobedience and because of sin in your life and because you're not following God and you're not doing what God's called you to do. Now there's a ripple effect in your marriage and your family and in the family of God until you get right with Jesus and do what Jesus has asked you to do. So peace is a very important part of a family. It's a very important part of a believer with, in, in Christ. There's no peace with God if I'm being disobedient. And, and there's this idea that peace is, is, is essential for a healthy church. Because unity is essential for a healthy church. And, and there is no unity if there's no peace. If people are fighting and that kind of thing, there's no unity, there's no peace. You're fighting in your family, there's no peace, right? And so, so for me, unity and, and, and peace in the church has always been a prayer. And, and let me just remind you that we are in a spiritual battle, right? Ephesians 6, we're not in a war against flesh and blood. The Bible says that we are in a very real spiritual battle here. And, and it's against the spiritual forces of darkness. And so, so with that in mind, we want peace. We want the peace of God. We're in a spiritual battle. The enemy is against us. And so there's obviously potential conflict. So let me run through a few things here today. Um, do you think the enemy is happy that we have baptized 121 people this year? 121. Now, my last church, we had over 3,000 people in our church. And when we baptized 100 people, we thought the Holy Ghost had just set us ablaze. 100 people, praise God. 3,000 people were at that church. You know, you do the math. How many people did it take, you know, to, to, to see 100 people? Do the math on our church. We have about 1,000 right now, 1,100 the last couple months. And so... So, so this is an amazing thing, and the year is not even over yet. Oh, 21, 20, 23, 123, just had some this morning, right? You think the enemy is happy that on Wednesday nights, three and 400 students are in this room hearing the gospel and, and, and falling in love with Jesus. You think he's happy about that? I believe he's not happy about that. You think he's happy that... On Thursday nights, we have a group of people who are struggling with drug addictions that are now coming around the gospel together and, 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 and with, with, with the hope of the kingdom of God, with godly leaders who have been there, who are teaching them the gospel, who are pursuing you know, addiction-free lives and, and freedom in Christ. Do you think he's happy with that? you think he's happy when, when, when people in bondage get set free? Of course not. Like we're in a real battle here. Is he happy that our small groups have doubled this year? Of course not. He's extremely unhappy and he's fighting against us. We, you've heard us talk about compassion. We're, we're, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to do this. And so when we see you know, hundred, hundreds of kids sponsored who are in global poverty and we're going to take them and release them from global poverty in the name of Jesus and begin to disciple them in other parts of the world, you think the enemy is happy about that? Of course not. What's he want to do? Divide us. You think that he's happy that the seven elders of our church are so unified right now 
They are so on fire for potentially over the next one to two years, starting a second campus, buying land, building an auditorium. You think that seven guys on a church board, all right, have you been in church before? A church board are unified? That's an act of God, right? Yeah, somebody's clapped. Somebody's been in the church for a while. We are so unified and on fire for making disciples that our staff is so unified right now on making disciples. This isn't, this isn't, you think the enemy isn't gonna try to fight us. Well, he has and he is. And maybe more so in the last year than ever. I mean, the building, the fact that thousands of people in the future are gonna be changed, you better believe he's unhappy. And so, so peace was and is at stake. And um, Jesus said, watch out for wolves. They're gonna come dressed in sheep's clothing and you're not gonna know them until they reveal themselves. And I'm just gonna tell you, we've had a couple of wolves running around and they've tried to drag my character through the mud, my staff's character through the mud, and I'm just telling you right now that, that God is in control. And people can say whatever they want to, but God is in control. His peace, his power, and his presence is more real today in this church than ever before. And so, so when, when we see division taking place or attempting to take place, you better be very careful that you don't let it distract you from the greater work that God is doing in your life and in the life of Foothills Church. Because I know, for one, as the pastor, and I know that, that, as, that as a staff, you know, our unity and our, our peace was challenged. But we're stronger today than we've ever been. We're unified, and I'm just telling you, this is an amazing place where God's presence is living and active the last thing I want to share with you is in verses 28 and 29, Jesus is our joy. In verse 28, he said, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I was going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it, it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. So Jesus' goal here is that you would believe. And he says, if you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going and I'm doing this. And so if we love Jesus, there is joy. When we are, when, because of the greater work that we have, we serve a great king. And, and, and this great king has given us this peace and he's giving us this joy. And so that no matter what we're facing, no matter what struggle and trial we're facing, like, like he is giving us this joy and he is giving us this peace. It transcends all understanding. We don't know where, where, how to grasp it, but it's truly a gift from God. And there is a joy there as we serve him. And some of you just haven't experienced that joy. And I wanna encourage you to respond to this question this week and sincerely ask God to pursue this question this week. What is the greater work that God is calling you to do? What is the greater work? I know you're afraid, but Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled and fear not. Every step of following God, it, it, there's, there's fear involved. Every step of trusting Him gets us out of our comfort zone. If you wanna experience the comforter, you've gotta get uncomfortable. What's the greater work that he wants to do in you? What's the greater work that, that he wants you to revolve your life around? What's the greater work in your kids, 
What's the greater work in this city? Can we get outside of our self-centeredness for a moment and stop thinking that everything is about us and realize that everything is about Jesus? Our entire life is about Him. I'm taking a group of guys through the, the book of James, just doing, you know, what we always do and meeting with guys, taking them through God's Word, discipling guys, and we're, we're, we're going through James 6 a.m. in the morning, and we go to chapter 1. First chapter, what's he say? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face comfortable times. <laughs> That's not what he says, is it? Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. You see, the trials that we face might be the greatest blessing that we ever face that God ever gives to us because it refines us. As gold is refined from, from the other impurities in the, in, in the dirt, it's refined and melted down by fire to get to the purest of the pure quality of gold. And it's like, this is what God is doing in your life. Consider it God's grace that he would send this problem to you. Thank God for this problem. God, you sent me a problem and it is, it's your grace because it's the, the trials of life, the trial by fire that he strengthens me, that he grows me, and that it produces steadfastness in me. And that steadfastness is, is, is a fixed direction. It's a firmness of purpose. And, and no matter what I face, no matter what smacks me right between the eyes, I'm steadfast on the purpose that God has for me. What's the greater work? God wants to do in your life. We can do a greater work because we serve a greater King. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.